What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a late Thursday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. It's it's really cold. I believe it's the exact same temperature as where our guest is tonight, uh, Justin Rowan of Fear the Sword and the Chase Down podcast um that he's still like we're still negotiating him using my name in this podcast <laughs> that uh, he does with carter that I, i'm a big fan of but i i will say he knew that if i ever did an nba spinoff of my own podcast that it would be called it would be called chase down blocks so um we're we're still talking about it i don't know if i'm gonna have to shut them down but I, because I like the podcast and it's one of the best uh, podcast intros of any podcast out there. So I'm, I'm, I'm at a roadblock. I don't know what to do here, but I like Justin. So I guess I'll let it slide. They're using my name. Well, we'll give you equity in the podcast. How about that? That works. That's fine. I, I guess that's fine. <laughs> we're we're Dude, very good. So we're very good here. at uh, divvying up zero dollars. Like I, I'm Perfect. fine splitting that. However many ways you'd like to do. Okay. Well, um, like I said, it is freezing, and you're in like the frozen tundra. You got married in the frozen tundra too. I, I seem to recall. Yes. Yes, I did. I it wasn't frozen at that time. Um, my brother does a bit of stand-up uh, comedy sometimes, and one of his bits is how the weather catfishes us because it mm-hmm. tells us, oh, it's only minus 10. But then you go outside, you're freezing, and then you look at your phone, and you're like, oh, shit, it says it feels like minus 30. And it's like, well, no, then, then it's just minus 30. Um, <laughs> for, for some reason... Minus 30? Oh, man. It gets to minus 40. Uh, it's, it's ridiculous. <sighs> Which I believe minus forty is the same in Fahrenheit as it is Celsius. I forget what that minus point is, but yeah, it mm. gets to that point, and there there's times where you have to cover your skin because any exposed skin will lead to frostbite. I think you should move. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. I'm, I, I like it here. Okay. I'm not gonna lie. It's uh, it, it gives you incentive to stay in when it gets this cold. Um, but today's actually not too bad. And in, in general, we do get some really nice days. But if you move to like LA or Miami, you would have less incentive to stay in and watch, uh, the Cavaliers play basketball for the next couple of years. So this is true. You have to factor that in. Yes. I, I would might have to wear a mask because of all the smoke or, or deal with the national, uh, natural disasters that go on there, which is just absolutely terrible to see. But, uh, yeah, every place kind of, kind of has their, uh, pitfalls, unfortunately. Yeah. So you are very familiar with the Cleveland Cavaliers, a team that is two and 12 right now. They are not a good professional basketball team, but they're a team that has already gone through some crazy early season uh, hysteria. We've already moved on. Thankfully, the, the Timberwolves stepped up and the Philadelphia 76ers stepped up and LeBron's winning now. And there's a bunch of other storylines. Melo's 
on the verge of being exiled out of Houston. So no one's talking about the Cavaliers anymore. But I want to talk about the Cavaliers, Justin, because I don't think anyone saw it imploding this quickly. It's one of those things where I remember the preseason conversations and listening to all the different podcasts and reading all the different takes about how the bottom of the Eastern Conference was going to go was like, okay, they should be around that seven or eight spot. And when you see that the Brooklyn Nets, I believe the playoffs started today, would be the eight seed in the East. Um, that's right where the Cavs should be if they were all healthy with Kevin Love and everybody else. Like that made sense, but the bottom fell out immediately. Kevin Love got hurt and everything is now the worst. Yeah, Kevin Love getting hurt in the preseason wasn't ideal. And just kind of the, the mutiny and the way things fell apart wasn't great. I mean, the first two games of the season were actually incredibly promising. Um, Toronto went up big on the Cavs, but they, they kind of battled there. They, they looked good. Uh, they looked good against Minnesota. That game went down to the wire. And you headed into that Atlanta game, the, the third game of the season, thinking, okay, yeah, well, this is this is where they're they're going to start beating up on teams that are worse than them. Uh, they played two teams that were in the playoffs last year. Let's see how this goes. And the Cavs get up by 15 against Atlanta, and then you had the issue where Colin Sexton checked in a little earlier than before. Uh, the guys on the bench start talking and kind of come to the realization that the veterans have been told that they're outside of the rotation. And at that point, in-game, things just completely unraveled. After that, of course, Kevin Love gets foot surgery. George Hill gets hurt. Jenny Osmond gets hurt. Uh, Kyle Korver is hurt. And two and 12. So um, I, I never thought that they were going to actually go for the playoffs. I thought it was positioning by Dan Gilbert to, to trade away the veterans. Uh, that's why I picked them to win about 29 or uh, sorry, 28 games. But it seems like that's even bad as an optimistic projection. So I was going to ask you if you thought it was going to be this bad this early, but it sounds like you were pretty, pretty low on where this season was going to go. Is that even factoring in, uh, 82 games of Kevin Love and them not trading the veterans. Did you think that this would just the reason that they would be uh, a 28 win team was because they were posturing and that the plan all along was for them to move all these veterans and just because they re-signed Kevin Love didn't mean that he was long for the team because just la- letting somebody like that go for nothing and just locking him up so you can get something out of him down the road uh, was really all that was. It's more of just getting something out of this asset rather than letting him walk for, for nothing. Right, right. And, and to be clear, part of why I projected them that way is because I thought they were going to trade guys like George Hill, J.R. Smith, and uh, Kyle Korver. Because um, those guys, next year on their contract is not guaranteed, so that could actually make them a somewhat attractive piece at the deadline uh, for teams mm-hmm. that are looking to create space, especially with potentially like 49% of the league uh, hitting free agency this summer. Um, right. Th- that that could be somewhat valuable. Um, Kevin Love, I still think, is going to be part of it. Uh, when we were doing our season projections, uh, I thought he was going to play about 60 games, especially, partly due to he just gets banged up. And the other thing is, once this season went off the rails, I just anticipated the Cavs kind of managing his minutes. If he gets so much as a scratch, they'd sit him. Uh, kind of the same treatment they gave Kyrie in his first three years. Um, so I, I think the issue is there just wasn't a market for Kevin Love, um, and you you weren't going to get a good enough return. And with the incentive to tank kind of removed with these new lottery odds, 
there, there just wasn't any necessity to, to move him. Like if you could get a real return for him, if you could get some long-term assets, I'd do it. Um, but I think they're almost better off just keeping him there to, to help the young guys, to help them uh, develop properly. And if you can add a top pick in this draft, maybe you have a good foundation there. We call him Sexton, uh, let's say RJ Barrett or Zion Williamson, uh, Jetty Austin and Kevin Love. So uh, that was the direction that I thought that they'd go. And I, I think that they are on that path. Yeah. I think the thing about Kevin Love and re-signing him, keeping him there for this rebuild is this team can be bad with Kevin Love. And I think right. that's the important thing. Can you rebuild and will he win them enough games to make this a problematic situation? And I don't think that's the case. So no. Yeah. Right I, I mean, you. even, I you even look at Marcus Hall in Memphis last year, like that was right. the example I always pointed to as, Hey, if you got this team, they their margin for error was going to be thin even with a full roster. You got the team and you let Colin Sexton and Jetty Austin try to initiate offense. Sure, they have some promise, but they're young guys and young guys never know how to win. Yeah. Speaking of Jetty Osmond, I mean, he's on my notes here for later, but I just, I might forget. So just in case I forget, can you explain to me the Chetty Osmond hype and why this was a thing? I remember basketball Twitter getting in a little bit of a spat. I believe your uh, podcast co-host got in a little uh, basketball spat about Chetty Osmond and enjoying what he is. But um, I don't really understand what's happening there. He doesn't shoot well. He's a good rebounder, I guess, for his position. I think he's averaging like five a game. But like, what is it about Chetty Osmond for someone who... Um, is an outside observer that's not familiar with his game and him coming overseas and all that kind of stuff. Like, what is Chetty Osmond? What is his upside? Like, what is um, the story behind his game and his appeal to Cavs fans? Yeah, so I, I think part of his appeal is just he already he he has kind of solidified himself as at least a rotation player, which is really good when you're drafting in the second round. Um, I, I think his outside shot actually has shown a, a fair amount of growth. Uh, the degree of built, uh, difficulty that he's attempted this year ha, has gone up significantly. He's had a couple of rough games as he was battling through that uh, groin injury and, and his shooting numbers fell off. Uh, but he's a guy that just kind of does everything. I don't think anyone expects him to be an all-star, uh, but he's one of those guys that could get you 14, 15, 5, and 5. Um, and has shown some real kind of upside as a defender as well. Um, this year has been a deviation from what we've come to expect with Jetty. They've really tried to get him to initiate the offense more and to uh, kind of work on expanding his game and, and do a little bit what he did with the Turkish national team. Because uh, his play, his international play is been really, really stellar, especially the last couple of years. And some of that is translating over to the NBA, but at the same time, uh, with his kind of remade jumper, his uh, attempting to dribble and initiate offense, that's all new to him. And that isn't something that he's done at NBA speed. Um, so I, I think it's just the upside, especially when you have so few prospects to care about. Uh, to be honest, like I, I'm more confident that Jetty Osmond can pan out to be a serviceable NBA player and, and a quality one than even Colin Sexton. Oh, wow. Not, not into the Colin Sexton uh, era so far, it seems like. No, I, I, I mean, I, I certainly think he has a much, much higher ceiling than Jetty. Uh, I just mm -hmm. instinctively don't 
like point guards that aren't strong shooters. Um, he's mm-hmm. shooting well from three now. He's up over 50%. That's on really low volume, and he's not attempting shots off the dribble at all. Um, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't seem to have great vision. Uh, I'm certainly rooting for him. He has a fantastic work ethic from all accounts, and, and if he channels that in the right way, it might pan out. But we're talking about an undersized point guard that doesn't really shoot, and that's just kind of the opposite of what I typically value from that position. I feel like this season is such a wash for him anyway because they fired the coach early on. Um, There's that weird stuff with the veterans and him taking their advice. Like There are so many different obstacles in the way of Colin Sexton having a successful, meaningful rookie year that I just, I kind of already thrown out the year for him. Like, let's just see what they do next year. Let's see what veterans are still on this team. Let's see who they surround him with. Let's see who the next coach is and what they see him as. Like, I, I'm not writing him off just because maybe it's all this is just, oh, De'Aaron Fox is now really an amazing basketball player. And maybe that's what I see. Like, oh, Colin Sexton could be that. Like that same kind of guy where you're like, I was nervous about De'Aaron Fox for the same kind of reasons that you are that you just um, outlined for Sexton is that like um, you love the motor, you love the intensity. It seems like he should be a gym rat, a guy who can outwork a bunch of other guys. It's going to be a pain in the ass to other point guards but he just can't shoot and we're not sure if he'll ever shoot. And then De'Aaron Fox is shooting like 40 something percent from three and just torching people. Um, so maybe that's the, that's the path is can he be like a, um, a version of De'Aaron Fox, Mike Conley, those kind of guys uh, that aren't the Steph Curry's Damian Lillard, Trey Young's guys like that. But there is still value in the other kind of point guard in today's NBA of just um, this, the guy who's not going to lead your offense. He can't be your best scorer, but he can do other stuff um, around superstars on the wing and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And Fox is the guy that we've kind of talked about as, hey, we're we're really hoping that this uh, goes in that direction. Like that's 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 where a lot of the optimism is rooted. And uh, he's not the the same height as Fox, uh, but there are so many similarities on how they both looked as rookies. So uh, I certainly have my fingers crossed that it goes that direction and that. Uh, he makes me look like a bit of an idiot uh, for for how low I've been on him. Or maybe he turns into uh, Dewan Wagner or um, Brevin Knight. How about that? That yeah, could certainly happen. Um, yeah, it's uh, having a work ethic is great, but you need a channel in the right ways. And uh, shout out to Russell Westbrook for not exactly figuring that out. <laughs> That's right. Um, So then I have to ask you, do you think there is a foundational piece on this roster, which I understand kind of may seem crazy to the outside observer, but when you think about the future of this team, who's, who could you pencil in as like, they are, they should be among the top five guys on this team five years from now. Like there's someone who once we rebuild and once we're pushing for the playoffs, trying to get back and not contention, but just, um, a respectable, good team again. Um, is there anyone on this roster that you see being one of those foundational pieces? Like, all right, this is someone that we plug in and we're building with because they re-signed Lance, uh, Larry Nance, excuse me, and Kevin Love is still there. Um, Colin Sexton, I guess, is the most obvious answer here, but like Rodney Hood is a huge question mark. Like, I was going up and down this list and I'm like, you know, 
every team seems to have like one or two guys you're like at the bare minimum you're like okay this is a foundational piece they can work with this and they can find ways to maneuver this roster make some trades make some quality draft picks and surround these guys and make things interesting i don't know if there's anyone on the Cavs roster right now that i'd be like okay they're a foundational piece five years from now yeah, I mean, I would make a joke about it being the 2019 first-round pick. But at this point, like, with the new lottery odds, I don't know if you've, like, looked closely into it, but obviously we are, like, focusing 100% on it. Even if you finish with the worst record, you have a better – you have a higher likelihood of getting the fifth pick in the draft than you do a top-three pick. You have a 48% chance of getting the fifth pick with the new lottery odds. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, so I'm, I'm, because I can't count on getting one of the top four guys in this year's draft, uh, I guess I'm going to go with Colin Sexton, uh, Larry Nance Jr. I know some people get really excited about him. Uh, but the reality is, I mean, he's basically the same age as Tristan Thompson. And, and the only reason to pick him as a long-term piece over Thompson is because of his name and the connection his dad has to the city. Uh, that's just kind of the unfortunate reality with him. Rodney Hood, I don't think, is part of the plans. Um, Kevin Love right now is is the face of the franchise, but um, it'll be interesting to see kind of how that relationship works out because Cavs aren't obligated to trade him, even if he was unhappy. Uh, he's now extended and they have him locked up. Um, but he was promised at, at least it. it he seems to have the perception that he was promised that they were going to try for the playoffs and they were going to try and win this year. And I, I think there's the opportunity here to do a quick rebuild to kind of get rid of the mercenaries that were brought in for the LeBron era. And if love is okay with this year, just kind of being a one year wash and you can get a high pick their salary cap gets wiped very clean, very fast. Mm-hmm. And at the very least, like let's say best case scenario, you get RJ Barrett in the draft. Uh, Colin Sexton shows he can at least be like a starting caliber point guard. Jetty Osmond is kind of a nice little sixth man or, or fill in starter. Um, or and maybe Turkaloo can't rule it out. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Or, okay. Maybe Turkish LeBron. You never know. Um, oh, and, you never know. See, that's the cast of that I've seen. Turkish LeBron. Just, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. Hey, he put up 28 and 8 in the, the one game. We'll, we'll always have that. Um, hey, Larry Nance almost had a quadruple double the other night. So Yeah, there you yeah, go. Anything's possible. But, yeah, so if you could, like, have him, sex, and love, RJ, and let's say Tristan Thompson and Nance. Let's say they, they get Thompson to agree to an extension uh, kind of long-term that's team-friendly in, in comparison to the one that he signed recently. Um, that's that's not bad. Like At that point, you, you're not going to get Tier 1 or 2 free agents because you're Cleveland and, and Dan Gilbert is their owner, but you can at least kind of pitch at some of the other players and build a team uh, a supporting cast around that core that makes sense. And sure, it's not going to contend. Um, the reality is this team probably is never going to contend again, unless there's kind of some, one of those weird situations. Like in your lifetime? I, I mean, are you, are you assuming that they're never winning another title in your lifetime? I mean, I, it's, yeah, I mean, so I guess that's a fair um, guess, but Oh my God. 
Yeah, staring into the abyss. Yeah, I mean, I've already got the one. I, I just all I you want have now. The one. That's right. All I want now is for them to operate like a normal NBA franchise and be moderately competitive. Like I would be very okay with like the run the Atlanta Hawks had like, just, just be somewhat entertaining, be moderately well run. Let's get some guys that I, I can care about. And that's, that's good enough for me. I have such low expectations and, and such humble hopes. And yet I'm still fairly confident they won't meet that. I don't know if I've ever heard a sports fan say that the, he just hopes that their team is moderately well run for the rest of his lifetime. Not yeah. even just like solidly run, just moderately. Like a, a couple of playoff appearances here and there over the next 35 years would be nice. Like not quite uh, the Seattle Mariners ineptitude of not making the playoffs for like two decades, but like somewhere closer to like the Orioles where – they uh, pseudo contend for two to three years, make a ton of bad decisions, go into cap hell, um, have no prospects to balance this out and make this substantial and um, something that can last for a decade. No, 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 no. We're going to go through it in two years and then be awful for another 15 and then start all over again. Um, so I think right. that's what you're hoping for is a Baltimore Orioles situation. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'm not a big baseball guy. And I, I mean, the thing that I'm fearful of, like, we all know the reason LeBron went to LA was to get that Hollywood money so that he could eventually buy the Cavs and run it with James mm. Jones. Like that, that's, it's clear that that's what's been happening. But at the same time, I don't know if you're being facetious right now. Is that what you think is <laughs> happening? That, that's my, uh, that's my crazy conspiracy theory that I somewhat okay. believe. Um, I, I'm, because part of my theory is still that LeBron wasn't coming back to the team in 2014 without some sort of assurance that Gilbert right. would sell the team to him. Uh, Cause he, he, I mean, he, he has stated many times that he wants to own an NBA franchise and mm-hmm. make some sense. And uh, that, Cavs, that might be, though. Oh God. Uh, just seeing what Michael Jordan, maybe that's what changes everything. But then again, you look at magic and what he's done with the no, Dodgers. I, I, no, I don't know. Would he be a good owner? I think no, he that, wouldn't. I thought that's what I was getting at is I, I don't even expect, even if my crazy conspiracy theory comes through, there's no way that LeBron isn't a meddling owner. Like there's no He'd be better than uh, Dan Gilbert though. Like that's the thing is like, Probably. it's not like well, he's he, taking he, over he, for a pretty solid owner. He's taking over for a shitty owner. So that's Yeah. That's yeah. I, I mean, LeBron would be writing predatory loans with people and uh, some of the right. other problematic so things it, that come with Gilbert. So, so at least there would he be might that. Hire Rod Higgins. But he's also not Dan Gilbert. So, um, yeah. You know what I found out recently, Justin? Would you like to guess where Rod Higgins is at the moment? Oh, God. Um, I'm going to guess Orlando because that's where everyone goes to die. He is in Atlanta. He's in the front office. How about that? Good for him. That's, uh... No, not good for him. Not good for the Hawks. What happened here? This went under the radar. I feel like the Atlanta media missed this one. Like, Rod Higgins is in the building. <laughs> what happened here? Now the Luca trade makes so much more sense. I think that's what happened. Travis Schlink took a bathroom break. Rod Higgins got on the phone and said, let's do this. Trey hey, now. Luka Doncic? No. Hey, now. Hey, now. We don't, we don't know that the Luka Doncic trade is going to be terrible for the Hawks. I mean, they could uh, still end up with another quality player in the lottery as a result of that trade next year. Trey right. Young looks pretty good. And Luka Doncic is still slower than Eddie Curry's metabolism. So, um, not not that. Did you see that? Get Did you see some of the stuff he was doing the other night? Though, did you see like Luka just? 
He's so polished already. He's Maybe so that's good. The... He's so good. But uh, at the same time, like I don't think he's going to be like number one star on a contender good. I think he can definitely be a two or Ooh, three. Okay. I, I definitely think he can be a two or three, but I, I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic because I think he's a guy that thinks he can be a number one star, and that's always going to be a little bit difficult. And I think there are just some limitations. I, I'm super high on him. I mean, I said that he was going to score 20 points per game coming into this season. Um, so I'm not trying to be a hater, but I, I just think Trey Young is also a hell of a player. And if you get another lottery talent there, along with uh, the pick that the Hawks are going to have their own pick there, um, they that might really end up working out well for them in the long run. But yeah, Higgins, that's uh, <laughs> that gives me less confidence that it's going to work out. I, I mean, they still have a lot of work to do, and we'll have to see, and you're right. It depends on how that Mavericks pick ends up shaking out and where it lands and all that kind of stuff. But um, right now they have one foundational piece, and it's Trey Young. And Kevin Herter is someone that I like a lot, and I talked to Jeff Siegel on the pod last week about all this kind of stuff. But uh, John Collins looks like Jeremy Grant at the four, and I mean, I'm, like they're not trying to build Golden State West or East, excuse me. They're trying to build like Portland or OKC East, which – Okay, I mean, let's see what happens. I mean, it's gonna be fine. I don't think they're built like there's just so many. Like I could talk about the Hawks for a much longer amount of time, but that's not what we're talking about right now. We're not talking about the terrible franchise in Atlanta right now. We are talking about the terrible franchise in Cleveland, Ohio, because that is what we are here for tonight, Justin. And we haven't talked about a guy who has one of my favorite sports executive names, Kobe Altman. Very underrated. He spells his name with an I, Kobe Altman. Um, uh, with a Y. Very... Wait, say it again? Uh, with a Y, not an I. I thought it was an I. Oh, nope. maybe it is a Y. There you go. See, it's all kinds of things that I just don't even know. I could have sworn when I checked Basketball Reference that I had an I. Maybe I'm losing my mind. Um, very You're possible. thinking of uh, uh, Kobe, Kobe Simmons. Maybe. Kobe Altman, though. Do you think, based on how he handled the Ty Lue stuff and the the background friction between Altman and the coaching staff and what's going on with the Larry Drew contract stuff that seems to have been resolved now is Colby Altman. It seems like you're not totally in on him being the guy to lead this rebuild. And I think it's interesting. And I think this is an underrated part of this whole conversation is like, if you elect to go down the full teardown, you want to make sure that you have the right executive leading that you don't want to do this when Ernie Grunfeld is running your team. You don't want to do this when John Gruden is making your draft decisions and trade options. You want to do this if you have someone that you can trust and believe has a plan and believes it's going to it's going to identify the right talent, bring in the right guys. Some it's just it doesn't exist. So I'm not sure Kobe Altman has done enough because of the LeBron aspect to all of this that we don't really know what kind of executive he is post LeBron yet, but I uh, I wonder, is he someone that you actually want to be trading Kevin Love, that you want to see um, around for a 10-year run? Or does Dan Gilbert keep going down uh, the, the cheap rabbit hole and uh, just keep promoting assistant GMs and everything else? And maybe Danny Ferry is the GM of the Cavs in 2027. Like, what, what do you think here with Kobe Altman in this rebuild? Do you trust him? Did the Cavs fan base trust him? I would love to sit here and tell you that I have confidence that Kobe Altman is the general manager of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, I'm, I mean, he's younger than Kyle Korver, and part of me really thinks that he was just kind of hired to be a shield for Dan Gilbert, 
on whatever moves Gilbert is making behind the scenes. Uh, Dan Gilbert was the one that made the Colin Sexton pick. That's kind of been widely reported. Um, so I, I don't know how much power Kobe Altman actually has. And I, I think that was a big part of why David Griffin wasn't brought back because they wanted, uh, or Dan Gilbert wanted to have power. He wanted to have his team back. I think at that point they, they both expected that LeBron was going to be leaving. So Dan was thinking, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to give all this power to somebody else when LeBron's leaving and I, I could be running it myself. So, um, no, I do not have a ton of confidence in, in the front office right now. Oh man. I was hoping that that might lead to a, a positive uplifting answer because I've been worried about you ever since the moderately well-run comment. Like I've, my, <laughs> my whole mood has changed for the rest of this podcast based on that answer. Think how much content I get out of this though. That's true. <laughs> I feel so bad for our country, but this is tremendous content. Absolutely. And, and still it's hilarious to me that this dysfunctional franchise that had players hating each other in the locker room took down a 73 win team like that. That is the lasting legacy. Can't forget that. And, and the more things get screwed up as time goes on, the more ridiculous that that championship is and, and the more, fulfilling it feels i have the Kyrie shot framed in my room <laughs> I, I have it I on the wall exactly in my room where as i well. was i i, I have remember a... exactly where i was i remember who i was with i remember the reaction of like oh because i remember going to that last one i'm like it's not happening they're not gonna do this they're not gonna do this and then Kyrie hit that and i just i lost i I will never forget just being absolutely stunned that this was happening and still just 30 minutes after it's over just no way like what what happened? So yeah, you're right. You have that forever. So no matter what Dan Gilbert does to your life or Colin Sexton doesn't fulfill, like you know, you always will have that. You'll have the Kyrie moment. So that's that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to ask you, who is the next coach? Is it Avery Johnson? Are they getting the band back together from Tuscaloosa? Is that uh, the plan? Who is the next head coach of the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers? Good old Tusky. Um. That is a fantastic question. I think that they'll go with a young coach. They won't go with a retread. Um, I, I think that they'll, they'll scour college. I'm sure Dan Gilbert is going to try to offer it to Izzo because um, he does every time this job opens up. He won't take it. And then they'll, they'll go with a, a younger college coach or somebody that's been sitting on a bench. And uh, personally, I, I think... It makes sense, man. I, the, I hadn't even thought about that, but with the Michigan State stuff and the turmoil in the athletic department and um, college basketball getting ready to go through another change with the age minimum and everything else, like, you know, that's not the craziest thing. Because he is a Michigan guy, right? Isn't Dan Gilbert originally yeah, from Michigan? Yeah, but, but he's offered Izzo the job like a bunch of times. Yeah. He, he even said, hey, LeBron's coming back, and Izzo didn't believe him. Um, so... Uh, That's true. I, I, like Izzo, he told him, and he just was like, "No, there's no way." Well, the the, the Cavs at that point were confident that uh, LeBron was at least going to consider them, but uh, uh-huh. Izzo wasn't uh, going for it at that point. So, um, I I think Tyloo would have been a great coach if he was properly motivated. Bring him back. The team supported him. Um, you never can rule out Mike Brown, Chapter Three. Uh, oh. Oh. <sighs> 
No. But uh, I, I think that they're not going to go with a retread and they'll, they'll get a younger uh, coach or assistant coach. Maybe Jerry Stackhouse. You know what they're going to do? They're going to get the Stackhouse, cheapest guy like possible. They're going to go with the cheapest option. Well, here's the thing. They they haven't actually like gone cheap with a lot of these hirings. Like uh, David right. Blatt was paid a ton of money. Ty Lue was the highest paid assistant coach there was. And then he got a raise when he was the head coach. So I, I don't know. Dan seems to like to spend money. I don't know if that's a tax for getting a guy to Cleveland or what the deal is. Hmm. Maybe. I, I have no idea who it is. I think it's going to be interesting. I, I think it's a bad job to take because I think you're getting fired within two to three years because I don't think this organization is moving in the right direction. So if you're a retread, this is a terrible option because this will be your last day coaching job because it's uh, yeah. it's not going to end up uh, getting you into the promised land or anything else. Like At least when Scott Brooks took the retread chance in Washington, you could understand why he did it, but... Um, I don't know. I, I think this would be a tough sell for most guys, unless you're like the only way, like um, who would be the best Lionel Hollins if he took that job or um, uh, you know who actually might be an interesting guy who would make a lot of sense for them now? Mr. Vogel. I'm not super convinced he's a great coach anymore. It's amazing how much that's changed in like four years. Yeah. Coaching bad teams will do that. Yeah, I don't know. That seems like a cat Cavs thing to do, and that would be his last head coaching job. That actually, I could see. <laughs> that makes sense. That's what I'm going to go with. I think, uh, I think Vogel is going to be the next coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers or Avery Johnson, mm-hmm. just because they think that getting the band back together with him and Sexton will be what gets this team back in the playoffs. Both of those seem realistic to me. Um, last thing, and then we'll go. New uniforms. It has to happen. They have to move on from the LeBron black uniforms that are iconic for that run. But it's time to go with something orange or something like I love the orange and blue. You know, I did like the Mark Price and uh, Ricky Davis black and uh, teal or whatever that color was. Yeah, colorblind. So I'm not 100 percent certain with some of these colors. But um, what what what's, what is the plan? Because they have brought out some interesting orange and blue ones. Uh, what is the long term uh, status of these uniforms and the look in Cleveland? I have no idea. I have no real inside information. What I do like is like the the Cavs kind of uh, word art there where the V turns into a basket. I, I always like those ones. I like ones. that. Um, I, I'd like to go with kind of these retro colors that they had with the city jersey, um, mm-hmm. uh, but with kind of that style. And, and they've had those jerseys in the past, but I, I'd like to see them go to that uh, full time. Did you like the wine and gold ones? Because I really like those. Um, yeah, I, I like them at times. Uh, the, do you mean the wine and gold ones of that style? Yes. Yes. That, that is my favorite Cavs jersey. Okay, good. We're on the same page. I would just go back to that. Yeah, I, I would easily do that. Yeah. And I would, re- this is old man yelling at cloud, but I'm actually getting really annoyed with the, the different uniform looks that everybody's throwing out this year. I don't <laughs> like home teams wearing, uh, their away or alternate uniforms. I don't like it. It drives me nuts. Gotta say. <laughs> old man yelling at Cloud, but I hate it. I really do. I hate seeing the Celtics and the Knicks wear random stuff. I don't like the Hawks wearing the red at home. I don't like any of it. I, I hate teams not wearing white at home. It drives me insane. Yeah, it, it it's a little disorientating. I'll give you that for sure. 
Maybe it's just a colorblindness thing where I'm like, I don't even know what I'm looking at. What what color is this? What are the Lakers wearing now? Are the Midnight City jerseys or whatever? I, I honestly couldn't tell you what shade of blue or purple or whatever that is. I, I have no idea. I just know I'm not a fan. It's not, we don't need to move these around. The yellow are fine. Like, what are we doing? They have perfect uniforms. The Celtics have perfect uniforms. We don't, I get like sell the jerseys, but if you just put those in the team store, it's fine. Let them do If fans want to get some ugly jerseys to wear to games, whatever, fine, great. Um, but just don't make the players wear it. It's, we're just doing too much. And I'm, I'm out. I understand this is a strange hill to die on, but that's where I'm at and I hate it. And I, I know Adam Silver is a, um, a consistent listener of the podcast. So Adam, if you would please step in here and, uh, go ahead and get rid of this new movement to have <laughs> 97 jerseys for every single team in the NBA. Cause that'd be great. Yeah, I, I can get behind that. I, I'm with you. Okay. Well, we're both old. We're both washed, Justin. But uh, you know what? We had the CFL season to look forward to in nine months, right? Hey, 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 hey. Calm down. <laughs> Bombers are in the conference finals this weekend, man. It's it's not Is over. Is it not over? I thought it, it was over. Oh, it's not over. We got Western Conference Finals taking on Calgary this weekend. Uh, and then oh, I'm going yeah. to I'm have to make a decision on whether or not I'm going to fly to Edmonton for the Grey Cup. Cause, uh, How could you not? The Grey Cup. It's very tempting, man. It's very tempting. We got a we got a twenty eight year drought that might end this year, so it's uh, that that might be something I I, I want to get behind. All right. Well, I'll be rooting for you on that front because you need it. There you Thank go. Thank you. You'll I always have the bombers. I I, <laughs> I need uh, I need one of those more than I need an NBA championship right now. That's for sure. There you go. Go Bombers. That's exactly <laughs> how this podcast ends. Justin, I really do appreciate you taking the time tonight. This is fun as always. We can find you on Twitter at Cavsanada. We can listen to you on the Chase Down. Is it Chase Down Block or Chase Down Podcast? Just I get them the, all mixed up. Yeah, just the Chase Down Podcast. Right. I, I always want to say Chase Down Block, but Chase Down Podcast. Um, not starring me. Has my name, but I'm not on it. Not yet. Not yes, yet. Not yet. Um, Very important distinction. Very important distinction. And we can also uh, check you out on, uh, where are you writing right now? Uh, both at Fear the Sword as well as a little bit on uh, Hoops Habit as well. Yeah. I saw David, uh, our guy David Zavok on uh, Fear the Sword recently. He was doing some gamers. I thought he was retired. Yeah. he. We have brought David back into the fold. It, it's uh, it's a true throwback. We're, we're going back to the days of uh, the Cavs sucking where me and David would both write a few of the sword. We, we are back to the glory days. He was my early guy who I remember was just, he was Mr. Kyrie and he turned out to be right. He was, I remember <laughs> having a conversation with him about it. Like five, dude, we are so old. I remember a conversation from basketball Twitter from like seven years ago. It's like, uh, how was that much time passed? I remember the Kyrie Dion waiters arguments. I remember oh, like, all those, of those hills, man. Bless David because he had more energy to fight my battle. He did than, than I did. I was a fan. That's that's what got me in on Fear of the Sword is David dying on the Kyrie Irving is actually good hill. So he turned out <laughs> to be right. So shout out to him, um, Justin. I do appreciate it and uh, have a good rest of the week. Uh, go Bombers and uh, go CFL. Who could miss <laughs> it? The Grey Cup. Tune in, Justin. Thank you. This was a pleasure. Talk to you soon. Talk to you, man. Have a good one. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas podcast, and I am now joined by the 
Brad Shepard. Brad, good evening. How are you, sir? I'm good, Chase. How are you? I am doing pretty well, man. Um, as we talked before we started recording, a lot of wrestling going on, a lot of stuff to watch. <laughs> yeah, could be a little overwhelming. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff, but there is a lot of interesting stuff going on right now because everything seems like it's all up in the air. Roman Reigns is gone. Daniel Bryan's a heel. Becky Lynch is the star of the company right now. There's all kinds of fun stuff, but I want to ask you about something that so Triple H um, did his uh, normal conference call ahead of NXT TakeOver War Games, and he was asked about... WWE current superstars, main roster guys and girls going back down to NXT and that being a game changer. What, what do you make of that? Do you think that's a good idea? Do you think he's being a little hyperbolic, um, taking an, a page out of his wife, Stephanie McMahon in the, uh, we could be as big as Disney, you know, who knows? <laughs> yeah, sure, wink, who's wink. to say, <laughs> um, but do you buy the game changer, um, kind of explanation or um, rationale for moving some main roster uh, wrestlers back down to NXT? Well, I think he's giving the company line, right? He's the, he's cheerleading the message uh, because that's going to be a difficult conversation probably for some wrestlers to hear. Uh, So I think he's doing the right thing from a business standpoint, but as far as a game changer, I don't think so. Uh, But I do like the idea. I mean, I do like the idea of main roster talent getting a little time, in NXT, uh, you look at sports and granted, this is not sports, but you look at sports and if you don't perform well, or if you're coming back from an injury, it's not uncommon to go back to the minor leagues or, you know, those type of things to, to brush up on your skill set. And so I kind of like that, that sort of a concept in WWE as well. You know, if you've got a superstar coming back from an injury, uh, yeah, sure. Have them in NXT, uh, kind of brushing up in their skill set, putting in some match time before they get back on the main roster TV. So I do like the idea, but I don't buy the message. Yeah, I think it would be hard to not have the fans who've been keeping up with uh, the company for years and years, especially the NXT fans who you know. If you keep up with NXT, you keep up with everything in the company. It's like if you watch SmackDown, you definitely watch Raw. There's no one who like just watches NXT. I don't think that person exists. So they are aware of how the Ascension have been treated since moving on to the main roster and trying to present them... Um, back into a a serious role that should challenge um war raiders on an nxt yeah. takeover in 2019 i think would be a tough sell so i think it just depends on the people but you know who i would stay away from sending back down to nxt the majority of their call-ups because most of them have been a disaster <laughs> so uh i would move i would not send anyone who's been called up in the last couple of years because i mean honestly the only one i would say is just like screw it is Bobby Roode because oh my god things are worse than ever but yeah I don't think it would be a good look and I think the idea that you would position it as like a positive for these guys would not be the case for 99% of the roster however if you were to send somebody like I don't know who would be the best like non just damaged wrestler to just show up on NXT where it actually be a big deal of like oh Adam Cole's in trouble because wrestler x just showed up and this is a legit cool thing yeah i mean i think john cena yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean but i like the concept that you talk about i think that's what they should do uh but i do think you know you bring up a point that really 
it's an indictment on their quote unquote developmental system. Uh, when you talk about a, a fan base that embraces them so strongly in NXT and they're successful there and they go to the main roster and it's completely different and the transition is generally terrible. Yeah. And I remember I, there's a running joke with my friends over at RBR Wrestling where that whole story of like, before anybody gets called up from NXT, there has to be like a nine month plan or whatever, a two year plan for every person and every character. And uh, going to go ahead and go out on a limb here and say that is not the case because ultimately there's going to be a quality control issue no matter what, because the people who are in charge of running NXT are not the people in charge of running Monday Night Raw. Like Vince McMahon is not overseeing creative and NXT. It's Triple H's baby, NXT UK, all of those things, 205 Live now, where there is a disconnect. So like Leo Rush literally is two different characters right now. He is on 205 Live, this guy who should be taken seriously, who wins all of his matches, who is like this phenom athlete. On Raw, he is a mouthpiece for Vince McMahon and Bobby Lashley. Lashley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then Drake Maverick somehow is able to just be a manager of AOP and also run 205 Live as the general manager. Like, those are two different people. Like, it's amazing the disconnect there. And it's, um, it's a soap opera. It's not supposed to be the smartest show on television. However, stuff like that does bug me. Yeah. It also goes back to like why I don't get worked up over NXT guys. Like, oh, Johnny Gargano, he, once he get, he's going to break through, and once he's on the main roster, he'll be fine. It's like, no, if Vince McMahon gets his hands on him, he's going to 205 Live, or things are not going well. You should not root for Johnny Gargano to get called up anytime <laughs> soon. Like, there are some people who I think are infallible if Vince gets his hands on them. Like, Kevin Owens was going to be good no matter what. Uh, because Kevin Owens is awesome and he's awesome in the NXT climate and he's awesome in the Vince McMahon climate just because of his skill set where he can talk and work and do everything that um, uh, you should want out of a professional wrestler. But most of the guys who come out of NXT are not like that. They're one dimensional. They are built a certain way and they get called up and it's a different character, a different situation, different writing, all that kind of stuff. And it just doesn't work. Um, So for every Kevin Owens, Samoa Joe type, there are like 90,000 Bobby Roods and stuff where it's like, okay, you're glorious, but what does that even mean? Have you not expanded on this? There's just <laughs> the disconnect where Vince McMahon is not on the same page with the people who are uh, doing 205 yeah, well, Live the, and NXT every week. Yeah, and that's a problem. Yeah, absolutely, though. To your point, it's a problem. There's no character development. And then you've got these kind of different universes, so to speak, like you mentioned, where you've got Leo Rush on 205 Live, but then he's got a character... Uh, he's the Lashley hype man on Raw. Uh, it's just very odd because it's all the same audience watching, right? And uh, it, it, they kind of operate like it's two different audiences that are watching the program, and, and one doesn't know that the other has got a completely different character on the show. And it's kind of, again, it's an indictment on those other brands like 205 Live, like NXT. When you have someone like Leah Rush who is picked up like a little toddler by uh, Elias, yes. right? <laughs> and treated like a little nothing, right? Renee and then he goes on, made jokes about yeah, the house party right. to open Raw, where she was like, yeah, look how little they are. Yeah, I, yeah. They're in a match with other people. What are you talking, what, what right. are you doing? How does this help? Yeah, it, does, it doesn't help at all. I mean, you know, so it, it's like, um, it's just an indictment on those brands because you're, are you going to want to watch uh, Leo Rush on 205 Live after they completely bury him on Monday Night Raw? He's just, you know, like a little, 
well, Sly being swatted by Elias, but you know, he's this big deal on 205 Live. It just kind of it diminishes your 205 Live brand. So I don't really understand right. that kind of a presentation. Well, I think it's hard to diminish the 205 Live brand anymore. Look, I love those guys. I love Mustafa Ali. I love Buddy Murphy. He's maybe my favorite worker in the company right now. But uh, there's just, there's only so many times I can watch uh, Mustafa Ali versus Noam Dar. I just, I have a limit on uh, the number of TJP random matches I can I can do in a calendar year. Yeah, yeah, um, I agree. It's, it's a tough sell. Well, it's a but tough sell, I like those guys. That's, a lot of that is obviously their fault, right? I mean, one of the right. things that drew me in a long time ago in professional wrestling during the Attitude Era to WCW, I was always primarily a WWE guy. Now, I watched the NWA growing up as well, but in that Attitude Era time frame, I watched both. But I was primarily a WWE guy until I really got into the Rey Mysterios and Eddie Guerrero's, Dean Malenko's, etc. The actual cruiserweight division of WCW was phenomenal during the Attitude Era time frame, mm-hmm. and that really drew me in. The potential is there. And there's some other complex things, too. Like you look at, you know, the matches today, the heavyweights are doing what the cruiserweights are doing. So there's no there's no real distinct difference between the two. So there's some other issues. But, you know, bottom line, I think it's just, you know, they're not trying to capture that magic that we had in the cruiserweight division and other eras. They're just kind of putting on a show. to. They don't interact with the main roster, really. But now they are a little bit, I guess, with the Lucha House Party and guys like that. But they're treated as like separate shows and company brands, all this kind of stuff. But like, I agree with what you're saying. And I think what they did well is they would start off shows with the Cruiserweights. And they were on that awful time slot after SmackDown and asking people to stay and watch um, hour three of professional wrestling. Maybe is main event tape before SmackDown? I actually... I feel like it is, or superstars, yeah. or mixed yeah, match, mix match challenge, or something taped before. Yeah. yeah, so that's just a lot. Um, I would just move the cruiserweights to the first hour of Raw and turn Raw into a two-hour show. Do the first hour like a Sunday Night Heat kind of deal, and uh, have that to get fans pumped because that would be cool. Is if they get there first, and if you get there early, you're like, oh, we might get to see a Buddy Murphy, uh, Mustafa Ali match to kick off Raw, and people are already hyped because they just watched this really cool indie feel show to start off and then they're ready to go for uh baron corbin to have a promo conversation with uh braun Strowman. yeah who um did you know that he is a guy that likes to utter the phrase get these hands were you aware of that brad <laughs> i might be aware of that yeah mm-hmm. i wonder if the company is pushing the idea that braun Strowman is a face again who doesn't give a damn um all caps by the way doesn't give a damn about anybody except for braun Strowman as the badass baby face i wonder if that's the message they want to to send post post roman reigns i i wonder if that's that's what the deal is there well you know braun They're very subtle so i'm not sure <laughs> yeah braun is interesting to me because he's he's a guy who you know was really hot for a brief period and they had a chance to really capitalize on that. And they did a, a classic WWE move, which is cool them off. Uh, and then yes. you just sit there scratching your head like, gee, why would you do that? <laughs> I was never scratching my head because I this whole year. So I had this bet that Braun Strowman would not be a WWE Universal Champion in 2018. People were convinced. Remember those conversations of like, is he the next top guy? Yeah. Is he the guy? How could it not be Strowman? And I'm like... Do you know Vince McMahon at all? What this company's history? Braun Strowman is not going on the Today Show. That's not happening. That's no. not what they're doing. No. He's never going to be that kind yeah. of guy. That's not going to happen. Is he going to be a A minus B plus player who they can turn to when they need somebody? 
Sure. But is he going to be someone the company builds around ever? No. And the plan was always Roman Reigns. It was always Roman Reigns. And he won the feud with Braun. Braun lost to Brock Lesnar. He lost to Reigns. He was never someone that won the big one. And I think that's going to stay with him, kind of like what's happening with Samoa Joe on SmackDown. But I do have some other thoughts on Samoa Joe, but I'll save those for a little bit later. But um, yeah, I just never bought into the Braun Strowman stuff. But what makes it more annoying to bring it back to raw this week is like, that's the opener. And it's clear that the program is now shifting towards the Braun Strowman show, uh, mixed with Ronda Rousey of, of course, but, um, Braun is just, he was just a heel a couple weeks ago. And it's, he's in that big show Kane zone where he's flipping back and forth and fans don't really know now who he is. Is he a baby face? Is he going to turn again? Like we, they don't really know what to believe and they can't really trust this run with Braun Strowman because the company has given them no reason to back him long-term because they just, they just don't know what they're going to do with him from week to week. And there's clearly no plan for him long-term. And they've always had this guy sitting there who would have been the perfect choice now, of course, because his best friend just left because he's dealing with cancer. Seth Rollins has always been the answer here. I've never, I thought they've, I just feel like they have overthought Monday Night Raw for a while now where you have something in Seth Rollins. Fans like him. You know he can work. And there is an easy story there of like, let's just build the universal title picture around Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose for the next six months. Let's do that. Let's make that the big storyline on Raw. That would be a hot feud. It's already interesting. But Dean Ambrose going after the title and wanting to just be the guy and turning on his best friends like Seth Rollins did. Like, the story is just easy there. And fans want to cheer Seth Rollins. He has been the guy that they have wanted for nine months now. And I just, I don't understand why they have not given Seth a long-term uh, run with the belt. It it doesn't really make any sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I was told quite a while ago that Vince McMahon saw Braun Strowman as more like a Kane character. You know, that's kind of, like you said, that A minus player who's going to be champion, but he's not going to be a really long term champion. He's not going to be the guy. Like you said, he's not going to be going on Good Morning America on Sports Center giving interviews. Uh, and that's that's what they're looking for. So, yeah. Oh well, um, uh, th- whatever. Raw sucks, and we'll we'll talk more about that a little bit later. Maybe I d- I don't know. I haven't decided on that, but I have decided on the Nia Jax versus Becky stuff being entertaining. Lance Storm getting involved, uh, wrestling Twitter. Yeah, uh, having hey, some hey, was, interesting conversations about this. This is the most entertaining Lance Storm has maybe ever been. <laughs> right, and I agree with him. I do. I, I think he's. I mean, he goes about everything in the weirdest way possible. But I think his point is valid in that, yeah, people were killing gender for knocking out Finn Balor. I remember those conversations. I remember everyone just be like, he's dangerous. I remember the Sting versus Seth Rollins stuff. I remember people blaming Seth for basically retiring Sting. Like, yeah, those conversations happen with everybody. That's not a um, Nia Jax only kind of deal. However, um, anything that... This is... I got to be careful. Nia Jax is not good. And... Tamina is very not good. And (laughs) once they put them together, I was like, oh, no, I think this company really is doing everything in their power to ensure I never watch Monday Night Raw ever again. But then Becky Lynch shows up and all that kind of stuff, and she gets knocked out. I think two things can be true. Uh, Wrestlers can make mistakes and get better. And I also think that that was a really reckless shot. And 
Naya deserves some heat for ruining the main event of Survivor Series. Like, that's a fair thing to say that, like, fans were really pumped for Ronda versus Becky, and that's not happening because Nia Jax was reckless and, like, knocked the shit out of Becky Lynch. Sure. Like, that shot was just brutal. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But also, Nia Jax is not good. Yeah. Am I crazy for saying that? Like, are, no. she's just not good. No, you're not crazy. I mean, I talked about it on Twitter as well, but like you said, look, mistakes happen. This is not ballet. It's physical. Once in a while, someone's going to get clocked. We understand that. And that is the nature of the job. But when you look at Nia Jax specifically, there is a pattern of this type of incident happening where you got to say, okay, this is not just your average sort of someone gets clocked once in a while. That's the nature of the job thing. This is Geez, it's happened a little more often with her specifically. Maybe there's a bigger problem related to her. Maybe she needs some retraining uh, to know what she's doing. I mean, she's she's really pretty sloppy in the ring, right? I mean, you look at someone who, sure, she's absolutely legitimate. 5'10", 270. I mean, what girl is going to be able to beat her in the context of, you know, talking about a story of a fight? Uh, so the reality-based element is there, but she, you know, it's like, you like you said, she didn't pull the punch at all. It was it was just terrible. She absolutely right. clocked her. It was reckless. It was like she wasn't paying attention. Uh, so yeah. yeah, to me, she needs retraining, and she does deserve some heat. I mean, I wouldn't say fire her. I don't believe in doing something like that, but certainly, no, you can. Yeah, there's a lot of talented people in this company. Yeah. We don't have to like. That's the other thing is like there's talented people everywhere. That was the whole problem with the gender stuff. It's like you don't have to do this. This yeah. is the deepest this company's roster has ever been. Don't waste time with people like Jinder Mahal. That's insane. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I, you know, and look, I know she's related to The Rock, and that probably at least helps with her opportunity. Yeah. But you know, I, I think she seems well liked. She's something. on Total Divas now. She seems like someone who's like a locker room leader that we would like if we talked to her, you know? Yeah, I'm sure she's a nice person. It's nothing to do with her as a person. Right. It's just as a wrestler and a character, she's awful. Yeah. Yeah, This is never... Do you know when she was crying with Alexa Bliss (laughs) stuff and screaming (laughs) at the top of her lungs? Oh, my God. Well, it's never personal. You bring up a good point, Chase, and and that's one thing I always try to say because I do have usually strong opinions on, uh, on wrestling and sports or whatever. But I always say it's not personal, right? In WWE, these are people playing characters, having fake fights. And so I never try to, when I criticize something, I'm criticizing a lot of times the creative or the the presentation of the match. It's never really a personal thing with the person portraying the character doing something. Yes. And I think that's important. I, I It's kind of crazy we have to stress that, but I, I'm not trying to be malicious or mean about any of that kind of stuff because I want everything to be good. I want them to be good. But I think you just have to, you have to be honest. And my honest opinion is I don't enjoy watching Nia Jax be a professional wrestler in the WWE. And I think going back to NXT is, would make a lot of sense for her um, right now and just kind of retraining and getting better um, because I just, there's too much talent in this division and um it's just a it's a waste of time and seeing ember go down the way she did and i just i have so many thoughts on all of that but um yeah nijax not actually good in our opinion brad and i have confirmed no more nijax and tamina like just no please no no no, no, Um, i i want to ask you i would be remiss if i didn't ask you what would you think monday night raw a 60 minute iron woman match tamina snooker versus nia Jax? 
It would be better than Tamina versus Natalia for 60 minutes. <laughs> and we could just watch them like stiff each other for 60 minutes. That would be great. Oh my God. No, thank you. Hard pass. And you know what's sad is there are female wrestlers on this roster right now who could kill it in a 60 woman Iron Man match, Iron Woman match, excuse me. Like there are a bunch of options that we could, we would love to see. And guess what? Alexa Bliss, also not a very good wrestler. Let me go ahead and point that out. Like, it's not like I'm just harping on Nia. Alexa Bliss is not great in the ring. She's fine, but she's not good. She's not someone I would say is like a great worker. What makes her great is her mic presence and what she's able to do on the mic and how entertaining she is on that front. And you can see that with her being out of action due to the concussion stuff, which is really scary because apparently she's had like a a multitude of those in a very short amount of time. Um, But she's so good on the mic that it's just like, oh, she can be a manager. She can be whatever. She's just talented in a a variety of ways. So um, I think you have to be fair and be like, okay, you can't just love Alexa Bliss and also rip Nia. Like they're both just not good in the ring very like it's they both have a lot of work to do and whatever. They're still young, but I I don't know. We've we've talked too much about Nia Jax. Um, And Natalia (laughs) follows me on Twitter. So shout out to her. She seems nice. I like Natalia. Another person that we would like if you and I talk to her, but as yeah. a uh, in-ring worker in 2018, I am, I'm good on Natalia matches for the rest of my life. I think I'm okay. Um, <laughs> do you think it was the right move to turn Daniel Bryan? Uh, you know, I think it was fine. When you look at uh, the lay of the land and SmackDown and, and what they're doing with Daniel Bryan since he returns, it's something different and fresh, so I'm fine with it, and I'm waiting. I'm willing to see how it plays out. He lost to me a lot of momentum since returning, right? Since he returned to the ring, and not that he hasn't had some good matches and whatnot, but when I think about Daniel Bryan, I think about WrestleMania, New Orleans, the Yes Movement, and how much impact he had on the company. And and now I see a guy who's in a very different phase of his career, so. Yeah, I know this is something he wanted to try, and so I'm totally fine with it. It's something new. Like I said, it's not the same old thing, so I'm willing to give it a shot and see how it works. Maybe it'll create some fresh matchups, but... You know, I, I know it definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the best thing is it's like we I was kind of getting bored of the Daniel Bryan uh, comeback tour of him just being this um, happy go lucky baby face guy. And I think it's interesting with the Miz and like him taking the Miz's advice and just finally being like, you know what? The Miz may have been onto something like this is how you win. And like falling down that road that Johnny Gargano is kind of falling down when he attacked Aleister Black. And like that story, I think is compelling to fan favorites like that for a little bit because it can kind of get them energized, reinvigorate them. And you can always turn them back and fans will be um, completely on board. But I also just think my first, like in my note taking watching the show, I was like, Oh, poor Samoa Joe. (laughs) <laughs> he spends all this time being this amazing heel, um, having great matches against uh, AJ Styles, a great feud, and uh, nothing comes of it. And then the next heel, basically, to step up with Daniel Bryan, he takes the title off uh, AJ Styles right before Survivor Series. Yeah. Like I, I do feel for Samoa Joe here. Yeah, well, they lost an opportunity, in my opinion, with Samoa Joe. I thought the time was right to pull the trigger on him as WWE champion during his feud with AJ Styles. And and I thought that feud, like the Nakamura feud that AJ had, it just lost almost all momentum for me. It became very boring because it was full of yeah. screw job finishes, and you know, there's never really any heat off of uh, Joe because he would never win. He would just lose matches, right? He could never win, and so 
eventually that guy you don't like who keeps creating trouble, like he has the fights and he continuously loses. And you're like, okay, who really cares about this guy? So it just became very boring for me. And, and frankly, the, the last, geez, I don't know, going back to the, the Nakamura feud, AJ's title run became very, very boring for me. Uh, and I think that really had a lot to do with just the presentation uh, of the character. Well, the AJ stuff was interesting because if you were going to keep the title on this long, and I was pretty certain that if they weren't going to take it off for Joe and they weren't going to take it off for a face baby, uh, a baby face, Daniel Bryan or the Miz, then it was going to be somebody at WrestleMania for a gigantic rub and just give him the title through WrestleMania. And maybe it was my pick was Andrade Cien Almas is like, that should have been like the long-term build of just like taking your time with Andrade, him running through the whole SmackDown roster. And that being the big WrestleMania matches him going over AJ. I mean, that's very, um, smarky booking, I guess, to hope <laughs> that the company builds around the uh, Andrade Cien Almas versus AJ Styles. But I think that would have been the best match. I think they look right next to each other. And I think it would have been an amazing 25 minute WrestleMania match for the title. Like, I think that would have been the best option, but I'm okay with this because I, I do think that they needed to change where they were going with the AJ stuff. And I think this is cool on the flip side. I'm worried about AJ Styles ability to have any more children. I think like, is he asking for this? Is he like requesting and like, is he texting road dog? You know what this feud's missing? Uh, I haven't been kicked in the groin lately. Can uh, someone kick me again? Can, can that happen? Yeah, the only thing I what can is think happening of, here? Maybe his wife is it a rib? to have another child, and he he's not willing to do that. But he's not willing to tell her no, so he's just telling the no road vasectomy. Dog, he's like, I'm going to get an in ring yeah, vasectomy. <laughs> just kick me in the nuts every week until I can't have children. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of bizarre, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't get it. Oh my god! Um, last thing, and then we'll go. Do you? I love Becky Lynch. I've enjoyed this run. She's the best but this new rumor that this is now good that she got injured and is going to miss this ronda rousey match um at survivor series that them having to do charlotte flair versus rousey now um puts her in a better position to main event wrestlemania against um against ronda and i don't buy it i still uh, it's like one of those things where i'll believe it when i see it with vince mcmahon the day that vince puts on um, Ronda Rousey or Becky Lynch or Charlotte Flair as the last match of uh, WrestleMania. I mean, it'll be a monumental day, obviously. However, I mean, like, I just, I mean, obviously we've had, a, a, I think, one pay-per-view end outside of Evolution end with a women's match. It was the Sasha Banks Hell in a Cell, right? right. Wasn't that the, uh, didn't that close a pay-per-view not too long ago, I want to say? Yeah. Like a year or two ago? Yeah. Uh, but that's it. I don't know if Vince is doing that even in 2019. So I, I don't know. Do you do you buy that this puts Becky Lynch in prime position to main event uh, the next WrestleMania? So I talked to a source in WWE not that long ago who said Becky Lynch was being considered um, as a possibility in that match, you know, like a triple threat scenario or something to that effect. So she was already being considered based on how well she's getting over. But, you know, it, look, if The Rock wrestles at WrestleMania, uh, that's the main event, period. <laughs> I hate to tell anybody. Oh, that, God. Yeah. I guess but, who? At this point, no Roman Reigns. Like, who is, what? Uh, you know, it could be Brock Lesnar. You know, oh. and, and, and 
look, no. that's not a match I'm going to be clamoring for, but that's a match that Vince is going to put as his main event. Now, I do think it's possible that Ronda could be in the main event, sure, but I never, I never want to say, like, okay, you get really seriously hurt, you lose a big opportunity, this is going to be a good thing for you, but I mean, let's be honest, it was not a good thing, right? Now, can she turn yeah. it into a positive? She's hot right now. That's the other thing. You're right. assuming that she's going to be this right. hot six months from now. Exactly. And we don't know. She She's going to do her best to try and turn it into a positive, and hopefully it ends up working out for her. But I, I don't necessarily buy the, oh, it's just, this is wonderful. Don't worry about having a concussion and getting your nose busted open. It's all okay because you may main event WrestleMania. I'm not quite there. Right. Yeah, I think it's too much spin. And, you know, people are excited, and I understand why people are, are going down that rabbit hole, but I just, I, I don't, I think Brock Lesnar is in the main event at WrestleMania next year. I think that is, um, barring injury, yeah. Vince McMahon is closing with Brock versus somebody. Yeah, and, and I, you know, recently I was talking on my podcast about this, and I can't think, really, of a compelling match with Brock Lesnar that I want to see at WrestleMania. I just can't think of one. Like the well is dry for me on that. Um, what if we did, you know what, uh, brothers of destruction versus DX was missing special guest referee, Brock Lesnar. (laughs) So I think that's what we do. I think we have that all over again. It gets 35 minutes this time and Brock Lesnar F fives, everyone to end the show and drags triple H over, um, the Undertaker for the victory and WrestleMania closes with the end of an era part 17. Oh God. Yeah. I, I was there for that match in person, the end of an era. Uh, now we're seeing mm-hmm. the end of an era of an era. Uh, you know, I just want these guys to maybe stop wrestling because that was, uh, yeah. the crown jewel was, you know, it was like watching mid 2000s TNA. It was, uh, it was not good. Um, it made me fawn for the days of Jeff Hardy versus Sting in uh, the main event of TNA pay-per-views. Oh my God. Who, who would have ever thought that we would think about that kind of stuff ever again? <laughs> um, no, I, I don't know. I don't even think there's like a get. Obviously, I don't think it'd be an NXT guy. I don't think they're getting that kind of a gigantic rub um, getting called up in face. Like <sighs> Seth Rollins, I guess, still makes the most sense because, I mean, he was the one. You could formulate it as he interfered um a couple of wrestlemanias ago and cashed in and um stole the belt like that's the story you could tell i guess and get dean ambrose in there and him talk about go super shooty and be like we had this awful match against brock lesnar a couple years ago and i hated it and i hate you and i'm a heel i they could do that i guess a triple threat of two-thirds of the shield versus lesnar i think that might be the best case scenario yeah i just think about the match that dean ambrose had with brock and it was just so bad I was looking forward to right. it because I thought this could really be a big moment for Dean Ambrose as a character. And it was just, it was terrible. Brock didn't want to do anything. He didn't want to do business. It was just, it was terrible. It was a huge letdown for me. So I kind of worry. It could but be I get a, it from his perspective, right? Like you understand why Brock at that point would be annoyed about working with, and I like Dean Ambrose, but it felt like an underwhelming use of Brock Lesnar at that point in time. It was yeah. a weird position to put him on the card. I can understand why he mailed a WrestleMania uh, match against Dean Ambrose. And I, I get that. Yeah, it's just it's tough for me because I think they could have done so much more. And, you know, again, a lot of that goes to the presentation. I think, you know, we could go down the whole rabbit hole of Dean Ambrose's booking because, you know, he was in a lot of cases wacky Dean, not the Dean we're seeing now. 
Uh, and it was I was going to say, he's a lunatic now. Hold on, yeah. let me check my notes. Yes, he's a lunatic <laughs> fringe. Yeah. You were not already uh, well aware. But his wife but, doesn't uh, know. This, this guy's crazy. Yeah, but his wife doesn't know what's going on with him because they do ask her every week on Raw. Is that not weird? Like the fact that they, that's just not a thing, even though they had a feud on television where it was established that they were a couple. Man, that happened on yeah. SmackDown. The Miz and Maurice, it's, Renee and Dean. That was a thing. Yeah, it's like alternate realities, different universe. Oh my god! It goes back to what we talked about. That you've got Leo on two of five, and you've got Leo on the main roster, and and it's like these other universes don't collide. Yeah. Um, what if we just did um, Brock versus Braun again? Let's drag this out. Remember that great No Mercy match? What if they did that all over again? Just at the main event of WrestleMania. What if they did that? I mean, they could do that. It would be fine. Um, I'm just... being very facetious. That match was terrible. And he like won with one F5. Well, the problem, the, the real problem was I thought the uh, the the way they booked the match, you know, had Corbin do the interference um, at Crown Jewel. And, and to me, the problem was they tried in their own way to protect Braun, but I thought it was done so poorly. And I thought, frankly, they've done that a lot with Brock uh, during his most recent run so much that it just didn't work for me at all. So, I mean, they could do it, but it's just not going to have the same momentum as it once did. It's, you know, it's just going to be whatever. Yeah. Uh, get excited, Brad. Great things coming um, in professional wrestling over the next six months. I mean, at least we have war games to look forward to, I guess, right? Yeah, it, it's just odd. It's like you said, you know, we have a, a deep, very talented roster right now. But really, we have some of the worst storytelling and character development ever <laughs> on the main roster. You know, I've been watching yeah. WWE for a long time. You know, I've been through some really dark periods. Uh, where it was pretty bad, and this this from just the TV show standpoint with character development and the storylines, and and it's just it's pretty bad. Like I feel like if this were a primetime TV show on network TV, it would be canceled. You know, <laughs> I mean, how many Raw's other a terrible show? Yeah, I don't know how anyone can tell. Like, if there is a person out there who enjoys sitting down and actually watches Raw live every week and sits there for the full three hours, I I mean mail like chase thomas podcast at gmail.com and explain to me how you do this and i want details i want like a a psych report because obviously there's something wrong um or i'm just missing something but i really i've been watching raw like you for a very long time i don't think it's ever been this bad yeah i would probably agree yeah uh why do these professional wrestling podcasts for me always end on a somber note I wish this company would get their shit together. You know what? Let's, how about that? Do better things. I mean, I guess, you know what? This is what we'll end on. Adam Cole is really great. Matt Riddle is in NXT now. Um, War Games would be fun. That's what we're going to end on. Johnny Impact is fun on Impact Wrestling, Impact Wrestling School. Um, that's what we'll end on. Positive notes. There are good things in professional wrestling right now. It is just not a Monday Night Raw. That is, that is the issue. Just pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah, that's a good point. Let's just let's pretend yeah. we like it. <laughs> I mean, I think that's what we do at this point. We just got indoctrinated at a young age, and we just will hold out hope for the rest of the time. Like me turning on um, this professional wrestling thing years and years ago was not a great decision for me yeah. because now I'm so invested I can never leave it. Oh it's, yeah, it's I'm we're, we're trapped. 
I always, I always, you know, people say, oh, well, if you don't like it, why don't you stop watching? But I always kind of relate it to the you know, sports team. I've been a Boston right. sports fan for a long time. I grew up in New England. And yeah, right now in the 2000s, sure, it sounds like, yeah, it's really great for me. But man, I got to tell you, Boston sports sucked for a long time. And I never gave up on it, right? I stayed right. a fan. I toughed it through the bad times and then, you know, had fun through the good times. And that's what I kind of relate uh, WWE to right now. Oh, yeah. It's, um, if it was a sports team and if Raw specifically was a sports team, it's the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> Like, what are we doing to ourselves? Why are we watching every week? What, like, the I guess the Baker Mayfield is like Adam Cole or Ricochet or somebody like that, I guess, at this point. But um, you're just like, oh, maybe this guy can turn the, oh, no, they're still the Browns. It's like, guys will come in and they're like, you know what? This might be it. This might be the savior. Daniel Bryan, CM Punk. The business is going to change. It's going to be awesome. 10 years of greatness. Uh, no. It's not happening. Uh, that's not how this works. Unfortunately, Browns just the Browns DNA takes over and it regresses back to its original bad form. So, God, we did it again, Brad. <laughs> Sorry, we're not ending on a positive note here. That's my fault. We didn't do it. What happened? All right, you know what we'll do? Champa's awesome. He should stay NXT champion forever. That's that's what we'll end on. He's the best. All right, I agree. <laughs> All right, there we go. Brad, I really appreciate it. We can find you on Twitter at the Brad Shepherd. And where can we listen to you and read you right now? Well, you just follow my Twitter. That's the main way to follow all of my work, but also listen to my podcast, the Oh You Didn't Know Wrestling Show. We're available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. And uh, I like to give it to you straight. I'm not going to kiss any ass. I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel. And uh, also, we do break some news as well. So. If you like that, if it sounds good, definitely give us a listen. We'd appreciate it. Yeah. Um, have you had Road Dog on yet? Road Dog, yeah. He probably would not want to be my... <laughs> I mean, just, just, you know, based on some interactions, he probably is not going to be joining my podcast anytime soon. Mm. Okay. Well, you never know. He, I feel like he has to at some point with that name. You have to at least have him on at some point. That, it, I would love to interview Billy Gunn. Road Dog would be less of a cool interview, I think, based on what I've seen on his Twitter feed and interviews lately. Yeah. Billy Gunn, I think, would still be hilarious. I would oh, very yeah. much enjoy a yeah. Billy Gunn interview. Yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely have some interviews coming up for sure. Uh, yeah, the Road Dog cool. would be interesting, though. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it. This has been great. Uh, We'll have to do this again soon, sir. Yeah, definitely. Appreciate it. And I had a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, Brad. Talk to you soon. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.